Malachi 2, verse 17 to 3, verse 6. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are now less than a week away from Christmas, from the day on which we celebrate Christ's birth. In our Advent sermons, we've examined God's heart. How out of his grief at man's sin and his great compassion for us, he sent his Son to redeem us. Last week, we focused on God's plan for our salvation. According to his good pleasure, God was willing to crush and grieve his Son in order to redeem us. Long before Jesus came in human flesh, he knew that he would have to bear God's wrath to pay for our sins. This week we deal with God's announcement of the coming of his son, as made by the prophet Malachi. Malachi was one of the final prophets who spoke God's word to his people after their return from exile. God's people were going through a tough time. And they felt abandoned by the Lord. With much effort, they had rebuilt the temple. But they did not have any visible sign of God's presence among them. When the tabernacle was completed by Moses and the temple by Solomon, the glory of the Lord had descended on his dwelling place among his people. But nothing like that had happened in their days. 
Thus, it is significant that Malachi proclaims the coming of the Messiah in terms of the Lord suddenly coming to his temple. His message is that God has not abandoned his people. Christ was coming as a great light shining in the darkness. The Apostle John describes his coming with these words. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Yet the question was, would his people be ready for his coming? After proclaiming the coming of the Messiah, Malachi asks, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? It's a serious question. It was not just a question for the people of Malachi's day. It's a question for us as well. For we know that the Lord Jesus is coming again on the clouds of heaven. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Malachi answers his own question by revealing the Messiah to us as a refiner's fire. Christ will use fire to test and prepare his people for the day of his coming. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Malachi proclaims the coming of the Messiah. We'll see how he compares the Messiah to a refiner's fire and how he calls us to prepare for his coming. Malachi was a prophet of the Lord. His name means my messenger. He's a spokesperson for the Lord of hosts. The title Lord of hosts appears more frequently in Malachi than any other book in the Old Testament. Israel had been devastated by the hosts of Assyria and later Babylonia. Judah was now a tiny province in the Persian Empire. But their God was the Lord of hosts, the commander of a massive number of heavenly hosts. Israel's God was the almighty ruler of heaven and earth. He sent Malachi, his messenger, to proclaim his word to his people. The people of Malachi's day were tired of waiting for Christmas, which they called the day of the Lord. They were like impatient children. They just didn't want to wait anymore. Part of their longing came from the glorious promises the Lord had made to them about the coming of the Messiah. They were looking forward to the son of David sitting on his throne forevermore. They looked forward to the temple being restored to its former glory and to the time when the Lord would fill it with his glory. They were waiting with eager anticipation for the deserts of Judah to become a garden to the lame walking, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, and the mute singing for joy. To Israel being at the center of the earth 
and all the nations and kings streaming to her to worship Israel's king. What made the people's longing intense was their current circumstances, which were very difficult. They were faced with many trials and sorrows. During the days of Malachi, the people remained under foreign domination. Yes, Cyrus had released them from exile and allowed them to return to Jerusalem. He had even provided them with materials to rebuild the temple. But still, Israel was but a shell of its former glory. The people lived in a tiny sliver of land, measuring about 30 kilometers by 50 kilometers around Jerusalem. Hopeless poverty prevailed throughout the land. They had faced prolonged drought, crop failure, and pestilence. What made all this worse is that evildoers, like the surrounding nations, were free and were prosperous. This made God's people ask questions and level accusations against the Lord. Their basic question was, where is God? In Malachi 2.17, they charged God with blessing evildoers while allowing them to languish in their misery. They accused God of injustice. In Malachi 2.17, the prophet states that the people of Judah have wearied the Lord with their constant complaints. Wearied is a word that describes how parents feel after a long road trip, especially when faced with car sickness, with fighting among the kids, with constantly whining voices. Today we would say that God was sick and tired. He was fed up with his people's complaints. It's true that the Lord will never grow tired or weary of our prayers or even of our questions, but he does grow weary of our sin. Our evil tests his patience. To answer his people's charge that the Lord had forgotten them, and that he was dealing unfairly with them, Malachi speaks about the coming day of the Lord. The people asked, where is God? The Lord himself answers, saying, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. In verse 1 of our text, three individuals are mentioned. The first person mentioned is, I. Behold, I send. This person is identified at the end of the verse as the Lord of hosts. The speaker is Yahweh, Israel's covenant God. The second person mentioned is Yahweh's messenger who prepares the way before me. Who is this? Well, the Gospels quote Malachi 3 verse 1 to identify John the Baptist, who came to repair the way for Christ. Malachi makes a further reference to the coming of John the Baptist in Malachi 4, verse 5. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. 
The final person mentioned in our text is the Lord whom you seek, who comes to his temple. Who is this person? Our text points to the fact that this person is the divine Son of God, the promised Messiah. He is called the Lord, which is a title Malachi would not apply to Elijah or to John the Baptist. The title Lord in Hebrew, Adonai, is distinguished from the Lord Yahweh of hosts. The temple is said to belong to him. He will suddenly come to his temple. So we can conclude that the messenger of the covenant, the Lord, the owner of the temple of God, is none other than the promised Messiah. He's God's son who made himself known to us as Jesus Christ. In our text, Malachi foretells his coming. Malachi asks, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? He asks this because too many of the people of his day were not ready for the Messiah's coming. Spiritually, Israel was in great decline. The people's worship was an empty charade. God's people refused to give their first fruits. The priests offered blind, lame, and sick animals as offerings to the Lord. And many of the men had forsaken their wives and broken the covenant bond they made when they had gotten married. Our text says that the people were guilty of adultery, sorcery, of withholding the wages due to their laborers, and of neglecting the widow, the fatherless, and the sojourners in the land. In our society, there are many who cannot wait for Christmas. They think they're ready for it because they've bought their gifts, they've decorated their Christmas tree, they've made preparations to celebrate with family and friends. But in their hearts, they're not prepared for the coming of the King. We, beloved, can also so easily get caught up in all the trappings of Christmas. But where are our hearts at? Are we living in smug complacency, thinking that we're all okay? Well, in actual fact, we're not living thankful and holy lives before the Lord. What would Christ find if he suddenly appeared on the clouds of heaven? Would we be prepared to receive him? Malachi answers these questions by speaking about what the day of the Messiah's coming would be like. He says that the coming king is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He writes, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. What our text makes clear is that the Messiah will use fire and soap to test whether people are ready and prepared to meet him. Our text speaks about a cleansing or a purifying process. Malachi speaks about a fuller's soap. A fuller is someone who did laundry, who cleaned clothes. 
In ancient times, they did not have laundry soaps like we have today. They used what we would call a lye soap. A lye soap was made by mixing ashes of a wood fire into hot water. This lye water mixture was mixed with leftover cooking fat. The strength of the soap depended on how much lye you mixed in. By adding lots of lye, you could make it very astringent, so it would easily cut through dirt. Strong soap was tough on your hands and on the clothes being washed. But sometimes strong soap was needed to get rid of tough stains. Malachi also speaks about a refiner's fire. In the ancient world, if you wanted to purify metals like silver or gold, you did that by heating them in a pot, in a furnace. For example, silver was brought to such a high temperature that it melted. The impurities in the metal which have a lower density than silver, would float to the top of the molten liquid, and they would be blown off with the bellows. So how would a refiner know when his work was done? He knew when all the slag and all the impurities were burnt away. The sign that he would be able, the sign was that he would be able to look into the pot, and he'd be able to see his own image reflected in the molten metal. As a refiner, Christ knows when his purification work is done. It's done when he can look at us and see his image reflected back. That's Christ's goal, to purify us until we look like him. The searching, examining, judging work of Christ is like what soap does for a load of laundry or what fire does in refining silver or gold. Soap separates dirt from clothes. Fire separates slag and impurities from precious metals. Those who are truly God's people don't have anything to fear from soap or fire. The purpose of the launderer's soap is not to destroy the cloth, but to whiten it. The purpose of the refiner's fire is not to destroy the silver, but to purify it. In the same way, Christ's refining work in the life of a believer is not meant to destroy, but to make pure and holy and whiter than snow. Yet the purifying and refining process not only whitens clothes or purifies silver or gold. Dirt is separated from the clothes. Slag and other impurities are blown away. What is a cleaning and refining and purifying process for some will bring judgment and condemnation on others. How? is often pictured in the Bible as an unquenchable, unquenchable or as an eternal fire. You see, beloved, we're either purified by the flame that is Christ, or else we'll be burned up in the fire he uses 
to punish the ungodly and the unrepentant. It brings us to our second point. After considering how Malachi compares the Messiah to a refiner's fire, we see how he calls us to prepare for his coming. Malachi himself was the Lord's messenger who spoke to God's people to prepare them for the Lord's coming. Malachi was the last messenger of the Old Covenant. After his prophecy, the Lord did not speak directly to his people for about 400 years. The next prophet to speak was the one about whom he prophesied, John the Baptist. John came as a herald of the coming Messiah. He came to prepare the way of the Lord. In our text, Malachi makes it clear that one of the primary purposes of the coming Messiah was to purify the worship of God. As we now know, this would include God's revolutionary transformation of Old Testament religion into Christianity. But Malachi expresses this great change in worship in words that the Jews of his day could relate to. He speaks about the changes the Messiah would bring so that the priesthood would be refined and so that the people would bring righteous offerings. He speaks about how the Lord would also draw near for judgment against those who are disobeying his commands and thus showed they did not fear him. At the end of our text, the Lord confronts the charge that he blessed evildoers while forgetting about the righteous. God's people had charged him with injustice. To this, the Lord replies, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. If God's love was fickle, if he was not a God who was faithful to his covenant commitments, he would have brought death and condemnation on his people for their sins and their hypocrisy. Yet it's precisely because God is faithful to his promises that instead he would send the Messiah to refine and to purify them. Jesus came to refine the people of God and to purify their worship. John the Baptist prepared the way for him by preaching a baptism of repentance. He said to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. John warned them, saying, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John the Baptist addressed God's people, laying their sins before them in a way to prepare their hearts for the coming of the Lord. I'd like to try and do the same thing with you this morning. I want to do that by asking some questions. Beloved, do you truly love the Lord? Do you show this by serving Him wholeheartedly? Or are you hypocritical in your service of the Lord? Do you worship God on Sundays and then just forget about Him during the rest of the week? 
you get up on time to read the Bible and pray before you start your day? Or is the first time you relate to God at the end of the day around the dinner table? How much is God truly a part of your everyday life? Beloved, how much time do you spend on your phones, tablets, computers, and watching TV? And in comparison, how much time do you spend studying God's Word, thanking and praising Him in song, and calling on Him in prayer? How much money do you spend on yourself? on smokes and booze, on cell phones, large screen TVs, cars, trucks, and fancy homes? Does the Lord get your first fruits? Do you also give generously in support of the needy? As followers of Christ, we are commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves. How do you treat your spouse, or parents, or children? Do they experience your love and care? Or are they more often feeling the brunt of your frustration and anger? What are you doing to support and encourage your brothers and sisters in the faith? Do you show your love and concern? Or do you just gossip about them and slander them, degrading them in front of others? Beloved, are you leading a double life? Do you outwardly present yourself as a Christian, but then privately engage in sinful pleasures? Do you view pornography, engage in sinful fantasies, or partake in sex outside of marriage? While you may act piously, while among other Christians, what do you do when you're on the job site surrounded by unbelievers? Do you swear or laugh at off-color jokes or involve yourself in the sinful lifestyles of your coworkers? Sometimes we think that because we've been baptized and because we belong to a Reformed church, will be saved. Our reading from Luke 3 warns, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. The fact that you've been born into the covenant is a tremendous privilege, but it will not save you if you do not truly repent of your sins. Beloved, humble your hearts before God. Understand that you need to prepare your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Jesus came once, some 2,000 years ago, to provide redemption for his people. He came to save us from our sins so we could be reconciled to God. But Jesus only came to save people who recognize their sins and weaknesses. 
He didn't come to save people who thought they didn't need any repentance. Jesus is coming again. He is coming on the clouds of heaven. On that great day, he will take his place on the heavenly throne. He's coming to judge the living and the dead. Beloved, you need to repent of your sins, to truly grieve that you've offended God with them. You need to hate your sins and flee from them. True repentance is a turning away from sin. It requires a change in how you live your life. It's not good enough to feel a bit sad today when listening to this sermon. And then to go forward and continue living in the same sinful patterns as always. To truly change, we not only need to hate our sins and flee from them. True repentance involves two parts. It involves a turning away from sin and a turning to the Lord. To be released from the power of sin, something needs to take place in our lives. Otherwise, our repentance is not going to last. We may turn away from specific sin today or tomorrow, and perhaps next week. But if there's nothing to take sin's place, it will soon take us captive again. Christ needs to take center stage in our lives. It is knowing Christ that changes everything. In our text, Malachi spoke about the Messiah coming into his temple. In his day, the people had not experienced the glory of the Lord made manifest among them. But that changed with the coming of Christ. As a baby, he was presented by his parents at the temple. Simeon approached them singing a song of praise to God, but how his eyes had seen the salvation of the Lord and how this baby was a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of his people Israel. As a 12-year-old boy, Jesus stayed behind in the temple after the Passover. After three days, his parents found him sitting among the teachers, interacting with them. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. During his public ministry, Jesus spent a lot of time at the temple teaching the people about the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees had developed a system of works righteousness, teaching the people that they could earn God's favor by living according to the law. Jesus reformed their understanding of the Bible. He made it clear that no one was able to live according to God's commands in such a way to merit salvation. Instead, he pointed to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus made it plain that no one could come to the Father except through him. Jesus completely transformed and purified Israel's sacrificial system. He came in fulfillment of it. Christ is our great high priest who lived his whole life in perfect obedience to God's commands. 
He did this so that he could offer his body and blood to God as the righteous sacrifice to pay for all our sins. Christ has given us the gospel, the good news of salvation, that we might find our comfort, joy, and hope in him alone. Yet he knows that in and of ourselves we would never put our trust in him. And that's why Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on the church. You see, beloved, we cannot change by ourselves, by our own efforts, by our own willpower. It's by the Spirit's power alone that Christ transforms our lives, that he refines and purifies us. We as Christians are now the new royal priesthood, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. When Christ looks at us, he should be able to see his image reflected in us. We're called to offer our lives to God as a sacrifice of praise. Are you truly thankful for God's redeeming work in Jesus Christ? Are you willing to live a God-pleasing life out of thankfulness to Him? This coming Saturday, we're going to celebrate Christmas in remembrance of Christ's first coming to earth. May our remembrance be filled with joy and thanksgiving. We have a gracious God who gave his son to redeem us. We have a loving Savior who is willing to offer himself as a payment for our sins and so restore us to God's favor. Yet, beloved, as we celebrate, we need to remember Jesus Christ is coming again. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? None of us will be able to stand in our own strength. The only way we'll be able to stand before God's judgment throne is if we have Jesus at our side. If we have found our righteousness in him. If we found our identity in him. God will only accept us into his presence if we have been refined and purified by the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ. Beloved, we do not know when the great day of the Lord will come. We do know that on that day, Christ will send out his angels to gather his chosen people from the ends of the earth and the ends of heaven. John the Baptist said that Jesus has the winnowing fork in his hand to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with inquenchable fire. Believers from all tribes and nations and languages will be gathered into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But the ungodly and the unrepentant will be condemned to hell forevermore. 
Will you stand with Jesus on the last day? Be prepared for the great day of his coming. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together from hymn 15. Comfort, comfort you, my people.